0: This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. I'm not joking. I kill people. I'm exactly the charity type, you? Lately, there are these moments when I feel connected to something else. Would you please stop
1: doing that and stop saying stupid things? Talk about your bloodbath. Greetings, sociopaths. Welcome to Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the eighth and final season of the Showtime series, Dexter. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my dark passenger, Charlie Nash.
0: Hey, Andrew.
1: Hey, Charlie. Have you eaten anything tasty lately?
0: You know, it's funny you should ask. I just got back to my apartment, and I thought there was blood all over the floor, but it turns out some toddler just broke into my freezer and ate all my cherry-flavored popsicles. Oh, no, I hope you didn't kill him. No, that's against my code. Lucky for
1: him. (laughs) Glad to hear it. This is episode number four of Avenging Angels, focused on the third episode of Season 8 of Dexter. The episode is titled... What's Eating Dexter Morgan? It was written by Lauren Gussis and directed by Ernest Dickerson. Uh, Lauren Gussis is the executive producer of the show, and Ernest Dickerson has been directing episodes of the show for years now. So they're both Dexter veterans. Uh, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and give a quick recap of this episode?
0: So we start off with Dexter waking up in the middle of the night to Harrison calling for him, where he sees... Uh, what looks to be blood all over his kitchen floor. Fearing that Harrison has been hurt or even worse killed, Dexter turns on the lights only to discover that Harrison has eaten all of Dexter's popsicles and has a tummy ache. We cut to the next day where Deb has been brought into the police department for having a DUI. Quinn is called into the police department to get her out of this sticky situation and then confronts her about her alcoholism, It's clear that Deb is having a lot of trouble bottling up all the guilt about her and her brother inside, and eventually she snaps, tells Quinn that she killed LaGuerta, until he calls Dexter to inform him about his sister's alcoholism, which he believes to be the cause of this, and Dexter and Vogel get her out of there after injecting her with a a syringe and stating that she passed out. Also, Dexter and Vogel are still trying to find out the identity of the infamous brain surgeon, who Vogel still believes is a former patient of hers. This week's suspect is Ron Galuzzo, who is a bodybuilder who works in the mall. And on top of that, Quinn and Batista are still butting heads, because Batista wants Quinn to take the sergeant exam, and is getting a lot of slack from the chief, who believes that Quinn is not sergeant material. Is there anything I missed?
1: I think that pretty much covers it. Here's a clip. What? Lieutenant Morgan?
0: Formerly known as. You've been drinking? Is there a problem, officer? Well, yes, you're in a car drunk with an open container, several actually.
1: Uh, at least I pulled over. I had a really bad couple of days. Maybe you could
0: just cut me some slack.
1: I wish I could, but... But what? There's been
0: damage to city property. Property damage? Are you kidding me? I'm going to need you to get out of the car, please.
1: Okay, Charlie, let's start out and just give some general thoughts on this week's episode. Did you like this episode?
0: I did like this episode, I think it's probably the strongest of the three that we've seen so far this season. I did say last week that I was quite fond of last week's episode, but I have to admit, after our uh, episode last week and us picking apart the several plot holes, especially in uh, Deb's subplot, I don't think it's as strong as I originally thought it was. This one also has its fair share of plot holes and uh, contrivances, but I have to say that it was the most tense i felt watching an episode so far this season. I think that the theme of thoughtless love that Vogel brings up is extremely compelling and uh, reminds viewers that the show does have a heart. You know, a very bloody, uh, twisted heart, but a heart nonetheless— Because Dexter and Deb's relationship really is what holds the show together. And I think that, once again, their scenes are great. I think that Vogel's discussion with Dexter on how he has a different type of love for Deb is actually pretty haunting and rings true for uh, the rest of the show. And on top of that, I think that this episode definitely had a few shocking moments that I didn't see coming. The scene where Deb did want to confess to Quinn, I wish they followed through with that a little more. It kind of copped out at the end. I was a little frustrated with that. But it did get me, like, to jolt up on my couch and go, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And it continued to raise the stakes for this season, which is what I'm happy about. The stuff that I wasn't so fond of, uh, once again, Batista and Jamie are just wasted. And Now we're, that we're three episodes in, going back to our first episode when we had the Who Would You Kill segment, I should have listened to you when you said that they, they should kill off Batista because he is completely wasted in this season. He doesn't have any priorities or motivations of his own. He's just a crutch for Quinn at this point, And basically every line that comes out of his mouth has to do with Quinn's sergeant exam, which is just the subplot I care least about at this point. Same with Jamie. She just has, like last week, she just has a single scene to get fed up with Quinn and then leave angrily. Quinn's kind of being a jerk, but not really. Like, it just makes me want him to leave Jamie since Jamie's kind of a nobody. Like, we just don't know who she is apart from being Dexter's babysitter. And Vogel's stuff, once again, with last week, I also think that Vogel and Dexter have some very strong scenes together, including one where she confronts him and asks him why he didn't kill Deb when she found out his dark passenger exists.
1: Yeah, I think this was a very strong episode. I liked last week's episode mainly for all the revelations about Vogel. If listeners are interested, they can also check out another podcast called The Dexter Cast. I was a guest on that show last week and talked about that episode, and I believe I was asked to rate it, and I gave it like a 7.5 out of 10, because it was strong, but you're right. The Deb subplot was just—I I thought I hated that. Yeah. This episode, I thought, did a much better job— Juggling a lot of different elements and helping them each pay off in their own way. I agree with you. Batista, Jamie, and Masuka are still underutilized. I like how they're developing Quinn, though, and they're finally starting to make him feel relevant. He's the one that Deb is turning to for help, and he is studying for the sergeant's exam, so I get the impression they're sort of setting him up to be a real key component in how everything goes down at the very end i liked what they did with deb confessing i'm glad that she's already reached that point i i would hate for them to drag this whole thing with broken deb out for longer than it really needs to be so i'm glad that she's kind of realized what she needs to do and she's made the effort to move forward Um, I think that's going to definitely throw a wrinkle into things. And I continue to like everything they do with Vogel, even though it's still unclear what she actually thinks about Dexter versus what she may be doing to manipulate him. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I liked this episode a lot. Let's break down some of the specific stuff I want to focus on the Ron Galuza stuff as our main topic, because I think that actually brings into focus a lot of problems that the show has demonstrated in the past, but also some interesting things that the show is doing differently this season. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit later. First, let's talk about everything with Vogel, because she was the big reveal last episode, and in this episode we see her basically trying to convince dexter that as
0: a psychopath he is incapable of selfless love that was my favorite aspect of this uh episode was that whole discussion that they have in the car on how dexter loves deb but deb's love for dexter is thoughtless and dexter is always logical about his love with deb and deb sacrifices her own morals and ethics and you know logic that she knows to be correct but sacrifices it for her love for Dexter, especially when she shot LaGuerta. I thought that was really fascinating because even when Dexter has saved Deb, logic has always seemed to play a part in it because when you go back to the first season when it's revealed that the ice truck killer is his biological brother, Dexter does save Deb out of love for her but Dexter also loves brian and eventually his code harry's code and the logic that he has behind killing is ultimately what helps him make his decision he's always making decisions logically and never really with his heart i can't think of a time where dexter's really gone out of his way to make a decision that would cost him something based out of pure emotion alone
1: no you're right and that is a big question and it's one that the show has been dealing with from the very beginning And I think you're right. Dexter does usually tend to act with some degree of selfishness, but I don't think it can be denied that he does feel some amount of love or some amount of emotional connection with other people. He did love Rita, and each season, as we've talked about before, he has formed an emotional bond with someone else. So I don't think it's fair to say that he's completely selfish. That's obviously not true. And also, I think the show answers this question in the very beginning of of this episode. Yeah, The scene with Dexter finding Harrison, and at first being worried about Harrison, then finding him with the popsicles, you can tell he's a really good father. And he does love his son. And he would probably sacrifice a lot of stuff for his son. So I think the show knows that Dexter is not a true psychopath in the sense that Dr. Vogel seems to think that he is. So what I'm wondering is whether Dr. Vogel fully realizes the extent to which Dexter isn't a pure psychopath, or whether she's just saying these things to try
0: and manipulate him into thinking that maybe he's more of a, of a psycho than he actually is. I agree with you on that, and yet at the same time, I think Vogel has a point because he's almost lost Deb in the first season. He lost Rita. Harrison in the sixth season was almost killed. These forms of potential loss and actual loss still haven't stopped him. I agree with you. I don't think he's a true psychopath. I think the show is trying to convince us of that, and it's doing it successfully. But I do think that Vogel has a point that he could have stopped by now if he really did have thoughtless love for these people. If the thoughtless love for Harrison was that strong after season six where Travis basically took him hostage... I think that he would have thought, "Oh my God!" I, you know, he would have had some sort of epiphany by now. I, I, I know that Dexter's not an idiot, and he totally realizes this. But I still think Vogel does have a point that his selfishness is dominant over everyone else. His code and his uh, dark passenger still takes priority over everyone else in his life, and his love for Deb uh, is uh, challenged in this episode because he's more worried about getting caught and going to jail, then Deb's well-being. He is, in this episode, he sacrificed Deb's well-being, and what Deb says is best for her, and what he truly knows would probably be best for Deb, although he never fully admits it. You know, he sacrifices that in order to just take Deb out of the station and have her not confess that Dexter was a part of this so he won't go to jail.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and I think probably what we're going to see is the major arc of this season for Dexter is going to him, reaching a place where he realizes that he does have to sacrifice something. Sacrifice himself, most likely, mm-hmm. for the benefit of people around him for the first time. Yeah. But having said that, it's clear he's never been a pure psychopath. He's never been completely without empathy since the first season. I think what we are starting to see here is further indications that dexter could have been a normal person he could have overcome his dark passenger he could have just led a normal life and been a good father but harry and largely vogel due to her influence over harry manipulated his childhood and to a certain extent turned him into who he is Mm -hmm. today so i agree with you it's a it's a tough balance, but I don't think Vogel is completely correct when she says that Dexter either can't feel sacrificial love or shouldn't feel a sacrificial love. I mean, she's even surprised at certain points that he cares so much about Deb. So clearly, he
0: does feel more than she would expect. No, I agree with you on that. And I do think another one of the strongest scenes is when she does confront him and says, why didn't you kill her? When you found out, because that that supports your point too, that he isn't a total psychopath, because if he was, he would have killed her, and that is a good point. I don't think Vogel or Dexter are completely correct in their perceptions of what Dexter truly is, and I kinda like that. That's one thing that I think the writers are actually good at. They're trying to manipulate us into thinking that Dexter's one thing or another through dialogue or through voiceover. I don't know what if the writers are trying to say this is who he really is through these characters or if they're just presenting these characters with perspectives that are not entirely 100% accurate. I think that one thing they are doing right is they are being provocative in this season with challenging our views on what defines a psychopath. Is Dexter a psychopath? Is Dexter still human? Is there still hope for him? And is his perspective on himself correct? Is Vogel's perspective on him correct? Are neither of them correct? Are they both correct but not 100% correct? I think this is the strength of this season, is that they're getting back into the moral complexities of this character.
1: I agree with you. Uh, Let's move on and focus on Vogel. This episode does what the show should have done last episode, and actually shows that, yes... She is receiving strange text messages. She is receiving packages at her door. So I know last episode, because of how they handled that, I said, oh, Vogel is probably the brain surgeon. Yeah. I now really doubt that. It's clear there is someone else out there. And hopefully they won't pull a season six (laughs) where we realize it's actually Vogel
0: and her imaginary friend. Yeah, and if they do, they basically just lied to us uh, with that scene. Because if the, if she does turn out to be the brain surgeon, which I agree with you, I highly doubt, uh, that scene uh, makes that reveal all the more infuriating. <laughs> right. So I,
1: I don't think they're going to do that, probably because they already did it in season six and everyone hated it. Yeah. So clearly there is someone else out there, and I, I like how that was finally clarified.
0: Also, side note, it was the first time I can recall a character in Dexter receiving a phone call or a text message without that really fake uh, cell phone screen of dark blue with white font. I, I know that's a <laughs> really, 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 really picky criticism, but, like, it always takes me out of the show where I'm like, cell phones don't look like that. But uh, <laughs> they actually did that. And one other thing that I was questioning, can you receive text messages from unknown numbers? I'm sure you can. I'm sure there's a way to do it. I never have, so that's why I'm asking. There's got to be a way to,
1: like, block the number that is sending it. I mean, if you can make calls from an unlisted number, there's got to be a way you can text from an unlisted number as well. Yeah. So I like that they finally confirmed there is someone out there. I'm not quite sure how I feel about the fact that they're just sort of going through all of Vogel's clients one by (laughs) one, Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about Ron Galutza, but it just seems kind of weird to, to me that that's the method they would take as opposed to finding some other piece of evidence that could maybe lead them to who it is.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like in those uh murder mystery movies where they have, like, a photo of all the suspects and they're just crossing them out one by one. Yeah, I agree with you. They couldn't find another piece of evidence that could, like, point to something or some sort of clue that would maybe convince them, oh, well, this, you know, like, even if they found a piece of evidence at a crime scene that was like, oh, well, this could lead to w- my former patient, blank, who does this. Let's talk about Deb here
1: she finally takes a major step forward by realizing that she should confess how did you feel about the fact that we've
0: reached this point so soon i'm happy that it reached this point so soon because as you said earlier there is only so much of deb driving drunk and being miserable that i can take I did have a few problems with some of the ways that this was executed. First off, the scene where Dexter tries to convince Deb that she is a good person. I liked that idea. The way it was executed by bringing her to that restaurant was really problematic for me because he brings her to this restaurant to show her someone that she saved from a shootout. And first of all, I couldn't recall if that was... From a shootout that was in a previous episode of the show, or if it was just fictional? It's from the show. Which episode? Because I couldn't recall which one it was. I couldn't remember.
1: It was either the beginning of, I want to say, season four or five, maybe? Where there was a shootout in a restaurant where Deb was eating, and she kind of jumped into action and took out the people
0: involved. I believe that that actually happened on the show. I just couldn't tell you the details. Okay, well, is he the owner of the restaurant? Because that would make sense to me, but they didn't say that, so I just assume that Dexter somehow miraculously planned out to go to dinner at this restaurant where he knew this complete stranger that they haven't noticed for years has been... And he somehow found footage that somehow someone miraculously put it on YouTube. It just felt so contrived to me. Like, even if he said that, like, oh, yeah, he owns this restaurant, that would make more sense. But it just seemed like he somehow miraculously found out where this guy was taking his family out to dinner. Somehow miraculously found out that someone shot this footage and put it on YouTube and was able to upload it onto his phone. And it just didn't work for me. Dexter trying to convince Deb that she is a good person at heart worked for me. The execution of this scene felt very contrived to me, though.
1: It, it worked for me overall. I was willing to suspend my disbelief. I mean, this this isn't the same restaurant, from what I remember, as where the shootout happened. Okay. So I could believe that Dexter looked at the YouTube footage that had been taken of, of what happened, because from what I remember, this was a pretty big deal, when it occurred. So I could buy that Dexter would look at this footage, find someone that Deb had saved. And given the fact that he works for the police department, and maybe they had witness statements, or I could believe that Dexter would be able to track this guy down. So I was willing to go with it. And I agree. I think that was a really great moment that reminded not just Deb, but the audience as well. Oh, yeah. Deb is a good person. She has actually saved lives. It made sense for that revelation to lead to her wanting to confess.
0: Yes, I I will give you that. I think it definitely added to her motivation for wanting to confess, which is a scene I did like. I thought that it was very well acted. My biggest problem with this episode and with the whole plot line of the show is that Quinn states, no, the bullet that shot LaGuerta came from Estrada's gun. That is not true. And I literally went back and watched the finale of season seven. Deb shoots LaGuerta with her own gun. She gets out of her car with a gun in hand and shoots LaGuerta. I don't know how the writers managed to just forget all about this, but the Miami PD has made a lot of stupid mistakes that I can overlook in this show, but that is just such a sloppy plot hole that really pisses me off. I think it makes sense for Quinn's character to say, no, you're in denial, you're just full of guilt, blah 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 blah, but when I can go back in time and watch the episode and see that Deb has her own gun in hand, that just really pisses me off. I just assumed that
1: they took the
0: gun that Deb used and put it in Lestrada's hand. Yeah, but Deb didn't have gloves on or anything. Her fingerprints are all over that thing. Yeah, they would have wiped it down first. Yeah, but wouldn't they have been like, hey, this is the gun that everyone at the Miami PD has, and isn't that ironic that Estrada has this gun? Like, I, I don't know. It just really frustrates yeah. me. Like, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, because I and I did like this episode overall, and that scene definitely did work for me, but especially when I can go back in time and, like, find proof of this plot hole, it really irritates me
1: i agree there there are some holes there overall i was willing to go with it especially because i really like how they brought everything with elway in that's a character that we haven't really seen much of here we see him and deb spying on a woman's husband who is cheating on her and we finally get a scene with sean patrick flannery as elway outside of the office by the way I just have to say he has the worst tan <laughs> of anyone on the show, and he has clearly been Botoxed.
0: Yeah, it, he is a very strange. He is very strange looking on this show. I I I agree with you. It was a little distracting.
1: <laughs> but I liked how they connected that subplot in with Deb's confession because. It brings up that issue of, is the truth worth knowing, or will people just choose to live in denial, even when the facts are staring them right in the face? And I liked how that not only arguably contributed to Deb's decision that she wanted to stop living in denial about what had happened, but it also gets to that idea that we have talked about before about how the Miami Police Department, they want to live in denial, I can buy that Quinn, even though he's had suspicions about Dexter in the past, isn't going to immediately believe Deb when she says that she killed LaGuerta, because it's easier to live in denial. And it's easier to believe that Estrada and LaGuerta shot each other, even if, as you mentioned, there are some obvious holes that don't make sense. So I was willing to go with it, and I I liked how they tied that into
0: everything else. I do agree with you that I... I Did not blame the actor who plays Quinn, and I think it makes total sense for his character to be in denial. It's just when he says stuff like that so bluntly. Like, no, it was Estrada's gun. That It just takes me out of the scene, but the performances from both Jennifer Carpenter and the actor who plays Quinn, whose name I'm forgetting, and I apologize for uh, doing so, but I do think that scene worked overall. It's uh, Desmond Harrington. Desmond Harrington. I do think that this episode was the strongest that Quinn has been as a character in recent memory, and I really liked what they were doing with him, apart from Dealing with Jamie and the sergeant test. Well, I think the reason that they have him act so forcefully towards
1: Deb, like, no, 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 this is what happened. Not what you're saying. This is what actually happened. I, again, I think it's because it's meant to mirror that woman's de- denial where she's just kind of like, no, that's not my husband yeah no i I don't i don't believe it so i think that's what they were going
0: for so i was willing to believe that he would be really forceful about it is it really snotty of me to say that it would have worked for me if he didn't just flat out say no it was Estrada's gun because to bring up that plot hole just makes me really mad if he was somehow in denial by saying everything else i would have been more into it yeah I, i know that's really picky no that makes sense I was really happy with that scene. I was tense. I, you know, sat up on my couch and, like, you know, my eyes were basically popping on my head going, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this already. This is awesome. And then Quinn happens to turn his back and Dexter sticks a syringe into Deb's neck and they're like, oh, she passed out. And he's like, oh, all right, go get her, have her drink water and hope she feels better. Uh, you know, like, the window's right there. I know that they had to do something. It just felt like a bit too much of a stretch because you think quinn wouldn't take his eyes off of deb after all of this crap that she's been through and that's one thing that i think that is a weakness in dexter in terms of the writing is dexter seems to always have a syringe on hand that he can just stab someone with and uh knock them out and uh you know, put him in a trunk. My, my favorite example of this is in the season 7 finale after Laguerta has handcuffed him and dragged him all around Miami PD and he gets out. The very same day, in broad daylight, he goes, hey kids, take this white rubber ball, throw it at this person that I want to kill, have him chase after you, lead him to where I'm standing with my trunk open I'll stab him with a syringe, put him in the trunk of my car and drive away and the kids are like 5 feet away. <laughs> Sometimes I can buy it Other times, it just seems like, well, how can we get Dexter out of this situation? Oh, we'll have him knock the person out with a syringe. And there's only so many times I can watch that happen without getting frustrated. Although I will say that one of my favorite lines of this episode, because it was hilarious, was after he knocks Deb out with the syringe, Vogel says, Oh... That was interesting, <laughs> which was just so over the top that I kind of loved it, but and made it almost worth it. I actually didn't mind that
1: because the way they the way they shot it and the way they framed it, it was clear that Vogel and Dexter were blocking the door, where it would have been difficult for Quinn to see anything. And the way they edited it, it was it happened so quick when he brings out the syringe. At first, I didn't realize what had happened, and I actually had to like re-watch it. Oh wow, <laughs> to see oh that was the syringe. Okay, it's it's like it's only a few frames where he brings the syringe out, and because of that, I was able to to believe yeah he could just quickly do that with no one noticing, and I like how. That in itself is a significant act. Like, we've reached the point now where
0: Dexter is doing to his sister what he normally does to his victims. That is interesting. I I will give you that. Maybe I'm just just so used to that happening that I got picky with it. I do like this episode overall, but part of me was just so excited because I was like, oh my god, something really intense is going to happen in the third episode of the final season. Are they really going to follow through with this? And then they kind of cop out. So maybe it was just that it got me so excited that I felt like something really meaty was going to happen in the third episode of a season. And they just kind of like, because I know they're going to go back to this in the next episode. And Quinn's going to approach Deb and he's going to be like, wow, you were like really hammered, weren't you? And I don't know what she's going to say. But I I, it felt like, you know, they were teasing us a little bit.
1: Well, I don't necessarily think that this was a cop-out or it was insubstantial. I actually think that, in some ways, what happened was very substantial. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But the the last thing I'll say about the syringe is that, as far as I can remember, I don't recall Dexter ever using the syringe on someone he wasn't going to kill. I'm sure it's probably happened once or twice, but I think it's pretty rare. So I appreciated the fact that he's now reached the point where he's using it
0: on... Deb. Didn't he use it on um, the guy who got killed off in season seven, who entered into the sixth season? I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names tonight. The guy who was making the video game on psychopaths or serial killers. Didn't he knock oh. him out and then, like, just drop him off somewhere that was really embarrassing and not kill him? Because I know he didn't kill him overall but I'm pretty sure he knocked him out at one point and dropped him off at, like, a bench somewhere really embarrassing or something. Yeah, you're right. I
1: believe that did happen, but I've just decided that anything involving Josh Cook's character doesn't count. Yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> I prefer to forget him altogether as well, so...
1: Yeah, because that went, that went nowhere. I will say, I don't think this confession scene, I don't think it's a total cop-out, because now we've got Vogel being left alone with Deb. Now that Deb has made up her mind that she wants to confess, you know, I'm not sure if Vogel and Dexter, what, what they're going to do if Deb is insistent on confessing. And also, Vogel took the notepad that Deb had been writing on. So the notepad with Deb's confession is in Bogle's possession. It would not surprise me if Quinn notices that it's missing and that becomes
0: a plot point. I hope so. If uh, he doesn't then you are officially smarter than the writers and uh... (laughs) Or at least smarter than Quinn. At least smarter than Quinn but you know that is a good point it's not a total cop-out. To call it a cop-out is really harsh. I I just don't want this to be delayed for another i don't want to have to watch us i don't want to have to wait another two episodes until she's like until quinn believes her what i feel like is that she might not even go back to this in the next episode i feel like that next episode might focus on deb and dexter and vogel all talking this out and it's just going to delay this whole confession again and meanwhile quinn's going to be back in miami pd or wherever and just be like my god i'm so worried about deb she was really hammered that day and not really believe it until three more episodes in. So I'm just worried that the writers are just teasing us. I don't think it's completely worthless. The scene got me very tense. I agree with you. Deb is now into the picture with Vogel and the whole idea of thoughtless love, that whole theme has been brought up. Dexter is now very conflicted about how pure his love is for his sister, especially considering that he has recognized how far she is willing to go in order to protect him while he has acknowledged through conversations with Vogel that him not getting caught is something that he prioritizes over the love uh and well-being of the people he loves
1: yes and to be clear we're not sure that Deb was going to say anything about Dexter she could have just gone in to confess herself and her own crimes and I'm not even sure whether she would have confessed to killing El Sapo. I have a feeling that's just going to wind up being a one-episode subplot that's just really stupid.
0: I don't think anybody cares. I mean, and considering the intelligence of the Miami PD, uh, where they were like, oh, Sussman uh, committed suicide, you know, El Sapo, whatever. I think Batista just has, like, a single line about those two characters and then just, like, erases them off the whiteboard. And I'm like, okay, whatever.
1: Yeah, we'll see how this stuff plays out in the future. Let's move on to our main topic of the week, which is this Ron Galuzzo character and everything with him. And the reason I wanted to make him our main topic is because I think he brings up some some interesting things about how this show works. A lot of critics have complained about the cannibalism storyline in this episode and how it's revealed he's a cannibal and he's an awful guy... I think that it was awkwardly handled. Yeah. I think part of the reason it feels so awkward is that normally this is a guy that there would be multiple episodes, if not an entire season spent on Mm -hmm. like normally dexter would realize oh this guy is killing a lot of people and eating them and he would and this person would either be the main big bad of the season or someone that dexter at least spent a couple episodes looking into and tracking down before he kills him but it just kind of goes
0: so fast like oh he's a cannibal and now he's dead I mean, I will admit I'm glad that we didn't have to watch a whole fifteen minutes of Dexter tracking him down, sticking him with a syringe, setting up the room because at eight seasons in, I have to admit I am really tired of uh, I, I am really tired of that. It did shock me that it just jump cut to him on the table wrapped in plastic, but. We've seen so many episodes where it's just Dexter tracking down one guy who you know will be dead by the end of the episode and then it doesn't really matter to the main plot of the season that I didn't really mind the fact that it jump cut there. His reveal of being a cannibal I did find to be kind of hilarious. Oh, it was very funny. He left a you know, like what a bowl of chili or stew or something. And they're just like blatantly organs or like missing uh, fingers or something in there. And then Texter opens the fridge and the freezer. And I just like died laughing when I saw that there were containers with labels that say kidneys and heart and brain. And I'm like, it, all I could think of was like, what if his family like comes home for a holiday and is like, surprise, we're here for Christmas. And they like open up the fridge and like, you know, they just <laughs> see this and they're like, oh my, uh, uh, honey or what? Like, I, I don't know. I just, it was so goofy and really dopey, and yet at the same time, I found it to be, like, hilariously entertaining.
1: Yeah, it was really funny. I love how everything was properly labeled. I'm kind of concerned, though, that this all stems from that structure we mentioned earlier, where now Dexter is going patient by patient through mm-hmm. Vogel's previous clients and investigating them to see if maybe they are the brain surgeon, and I'm worried that that's just an excuse for the writers to return to the structure we saw earlier in the series where, you know, it's, it's kind of like a lot of shows do where it's basically just a bad guy of the week.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because last season they didn't really do that because he was basically like, you know, in Deb's personal rehabilitation center in her apartment. And that felt really fresh. And I don't know if season six there were that many of those personal bad guys of the week or if it was just Travis, but it does feel stale. I agree with you. It does feel like they're going back to what they're comfortable with. And this is the last season of the show. It would be nice to see him jump out of their comfort zone. And even if, you know, some of the new plot developments don't entirely work, to see something fresh that does have problems but takes chances, I think would be more fascinating to watch than to just see the writers recycling old formulas over and over again.
1: Right. And we mentioned last week how it's been a long time since we saw Dexter actually kill someone, actually kill a criminal just because he wanted to. So I like that this episode addressed that, and, and that's what happens. But because it kind of stems from that structure of them going client by client i'm just worried they're going to get back into that rut and it's it's not that i necessarily think that's a bad thing i think it potentially could be interesting if throughout the entire time we're learning new stuff about dexter and the writers are making us think about his killing and it is kind of meant to be a weird mirror of the first season and, and bring all this stuff back up but you know we'll just have to wait and see there's no indication yet that that's going to be the case, and if they just kind of try to squeeze that in there, you know, just if, if they use that as an excuse for oh here's another bad guy of the week for Dexter to kill, I just I just don't think it's going to work, and I feel like now the show's more interesting material involves Dab and a lot of these plot
0: lines that were invested in. Yeah, well, there's no depth to the Kills of the Week. I mean, there has been previously, but, like, this episode in particular, it was just, like... (laughs) I I almost feel like when Dexter at the very end of the episode goes, you know, me and you aren't uh, so different. I consume everyone I love. I was almost, like, thinking that the writers were in the room, and they were just like, oh, that, we can use that, and then metaphorically make this guy a cannibal, and uh, it'll all make sense. (laughs) Like, almost like they wrote the episode backwards from, like, that line or something, and they're like... Oh, we'll make him a cannibal and then it'll be relatable. Like, apart from that, there's nothing there that really relates to anything going on in this plot line. There's no depth. It's just another kill of the week that we've seen a gazillion times before.
1: Right. And I'm okay with this as a kill of the week, and if they want to bring in that metaphor and stuff about Dexter consuming the people he loves. I'm fine with that. I'm just worried that we're going to see more of that because of this structure and that it won't work or it'll feel out of place. There is one thing I want to point out that does give me hope that the writers do know what they're doing and have thought about some of this stuff, and that is the fact that the episode ends with Dexter killing Ron Galutza, but it ends with the camera dollying... So it happens off screen and we just hear him stab Galutza and we hear the the noise, but we don't actually see it happen. Yeah, And that was refreshing to me because we're so used to seeing the situation where Dexter sets up his kill room and then he has the people laid out and then we actually see him stab them and murder them. And it made me realize we've actually not seen any of the acts of murder themselves this entire season. I I went back and checked, and when Dexter stabs Briggs, you don't see the knife go in. He stabs him out of frame. Huh. When it's revealed that Deb shot El Sapo and there's flashbacks, I don't believe we actually see her shooting him and, like, the bullets hitting him and stuff. So it made me wonder if maybe the writers are a little bit more conscious now about how... They present violence and are intentionally trying to have this stuff happen on screen to deny the audience that
0: Dexter-like thrill mm-hmm. of watching the violence occur. No, I, that's a very good point. I did notice it this episode, but I, I have to be honest and say that I didn't really pay attention to it in the previous two That reminds me of the film American Psycho, where none of the kills are on screen, and it makes it all the more disturbing, at least for people like me, because I have a very overactive imagination. And American Psycho is a film that is so much more upsetting to me because you'll only see him bring down an axe and blood will spurt onto uh, Patrick Bateman's face and you won't see the actual impact of it. And that makes it so much more disturbing to me than something like Saw, where it's just a giant gore fest where it's all in your face and it's just all about how disgusting they could be. But they forget that that sort of eliminates the whole psychological impact of violence because nothing's left up in your head. Not only do I think that showing it off screen makes it more tasteful, but almost hypocritically makes it more disturbing to me. I agree with you. I think that is a very valid point that you bring up.
1: See, I, and this is a case where I don't think it's made it more disturbing. With the exception of the bodies that they find where the brains are falling apart and stuff, there hasn't been a whole lot of gore this season or a lot of blood and you you we haven't actually seen a lot of acts of violence take place. So, I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe the the writers are trying to make a point with that and are trying to do what we, we talked a little bit about in the our introductory episode, where they are trying to sort of connect viewers and the people that watch Dexter to Dexter and kind of question whether it's healthy for us to be witnessing huh. these acts of violence and for us to be longing to
0: see them. And they're kind of den- denying us that visceral pleasure. That is a good point. I do feel like it almost connects us with him more if we see it because if we don't see it at least in my opinion that makes us distanced from it and that makes the whole thought of the act of violence more disturbing but on the other hand haven't we seen it enough already oh yeah absolutely but that's kind of why i like the fact that they didn't show it is they're kind of alienating ourselves from dexter and putting us more with the sympathy towards deb and we're making and their writers at least to me it feels like us uh, the writers are making us want to see Deb confess and showing us how psychotic Dexter can be, uh, even if he isn't a true psychopath, as we've discussed earlier. It also makes me think of... um certain, the two films, the The Silence of the Lambs and then its sequel, Hannibal. Silence of the Lambs was made in 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme. I'm sure that anyone listening to this podcast has at least heard of this film, but that's a film that where a lot of the violence doesn't take place on screen. There's a scene where Hannibal Lecter escapes from um, an institution in which there are just a bunch of dead bodies that have been, like, eaten and skinned, and it's uh, a really terrifying scene because you don't see any of it. And then a lot of critics complain that the sequel, Hannibal, which showed you everything in graphic close-up detail where it's literally got uh, Hannibal literally dissecting a guy's brain and feeding it to him while he's still alive is just so gross that it leaves nothing up to the imagination. It's just so in your face and that it's just like that's just gross. There's nothing terrifying about that. The Silence of the Lambs was so infective for not showing us everything and it leaves you with the psychological horror... And then the aftermath of violence in order to, you know, make the psychological horror more effective. You're right that it can be more
1: effective. However, you brought up the the Saw movies. I would argue that, you know, that is a situation, that whole Saw franchise, that is an entire film franchise built around come see the gross, disgusting stuff that we do to people. Witness the gore. Come watch these people get tortured and be thrilled by it. I'm getting the impression, at least just with these few episodes of Season 8 of Dexter, that the writers and the directors are becoming more conscious of that and trying to distance themselves from it and let people know, hey, if you were watching this show because you're thrilled by watching Dexter kill people and you like watching all the blood and, and you, you like seeing that happen, that's kind of sick and we're going to stop giving that to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. So it
1: kills two birds with one stone. You're suggesting that that also just makes it more suspenseful and more effective in a weird way.
0: Yeah. At the same time, Dexter has done the, look at how bloody this is, like so many times that it almost feels hypocritical. Well, actually, I take that back. It's not hypocritical. I think that's an interesting step that the writers are taking. But I also think that to give us such bloodlust... In, like, I can re- just recall, like, I think there's an episode in season six where, like, a guy's intestines just, like, fall down upon the entire Miami PD and they're just covered in guts and st- all this stuff. To, to give us that and then to say, look how awesome this is, kind of like how, like, grossly cool this is, and then to just say, you're really sick is almost kind of a slap in the face. Maybe it's a necessary slap in the face. And I'm sure the writers are different this season than from back then, possibly, but although you did say this was directed by two veterans, right?
1: Yeah, they've been with the show for a long time. I, I'm not sure if they've been there since the beginning, though. I'd have to check.
0: Because because there's some movies uh, or TV shows that just make me really mad when they're like uh, they when they want to have their cake and eat it too. I'd rather have a film that said that without showing anything than just like saying, "Hey, look how gross this is," and then saying, uh, "You're sick for watching this." Am I making any sense? I feel like I'm kind of going all over the place here. I apologize.
1: <laughs> no, you're you're making sense. You're making sense. But yeah, I, I just thought it's it's interesting that, at least aesthetically, it seems like the show is less focused on showing us these acts of violence being committed than it has been in the past. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this episode? I feel like we've probably covered everything.
0: Yeah, please just get batista and jamie out of the show or give them something to do that has to do with this plot line or that has something to do with the show's themes on violence thoughtless love anything that's just not this dumb quinn needs to take the sergeant's exam and oh i'm jealous because he's spending all this time with deb subplots well harrison does need some new
1: popsicles so they can let jamie go buy him some more (laughs) (laughs) give her something to do Yeah. All right, let's move on to our final segment of the show. We've been trying to think of interesting ways to end each episode of this podcast. And this week, I have a question that I want to pose to you, Charlie, and then I will answer it myself. And that question is, you know, we've seen a lot of romance on this show throughout its run, and we've seen a lot of love triangles we're still we've still got some love triangles going on so if you could see any romantic
0: entanglements occur between the characters on this show what would you want to see it would be nice if quinn could get back together with deb again because i think that would make the show in a good way more interesting and raise the stakes If the show wants to go incredibly over the top, I think that would be really juicy to get Dexter and Vogel together. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. Or they could do both of those, and then things could get really weird. But that would be really interesting if Dexter and Vogel got together and, like, almost became this incest, borderline incestuous uh, spiritual mother-to-son uh, couple, and mainly because I feel like it could just go so over the top and the show would just defy logic and just end in such a gloriously hammy way that it would just revel in how off the deep end it's gone. But yeah, maybe that's not what everyone else wants to see.
1: Charlie, you brought that idea up last episode. I'm starting to think that this is becoming a thing for you. Like, you really want to
0: see Dexter and Vogel get it on. <laughs> I don't know. It's just the ridiculous elements of the show. Just, like, when they come into play, I'm just like, I want it to go all out. I just I, I, just want it to get ridiculous. And maybe if they did get together and it was done really badly, I could regret ever saying this on this episode and last week's episode. But actually, you know what, and maybe it wouldn't work because, you know, every time Dexter gets with somebody, he either kills him or it doesn't work out. Maybe I just have a really bad sense of humor.
1: I still think you're taking this too seriously, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> You know who I want to see get together? I want to see Masuka
0: and new black detective lady, whose name we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who has also had some of the funniest lines of the past few seasons, because she's just only brought in to have, like, one line of every episode, just so you're like, oh, look, everyone, this character exists now. Wait, was she in previous seasons? Yes! She was in the entirety of season seven, and I'm pretty sure that she was in season six. They just never introduced her. Maybe I'm just racist, but I had, totally
1: forgotten, <laughs> I had totally forgotten her character existed. So when she showed up in the season 8 premiere, I was like, who's that? A new detective. I don't know who that is.
0: Oh my god, dude. No, she's been around for a while, because I also read the AV Club's reviews of this show, and they always joke about it.
1: Okay, has she ever been given a name?
0: I don't think they've ever stated her name, which is why the AV Club always jokes about it.
1: Yeah, I just thought she was new to this season and they weren't really doing anything with her. So when she had her little moment with Masuka where she was like, what have I told you about standing this close to me or whatever? I was like, okay, I want to see her and Masuka get together because clearly she doesn't like him. But maybe this is one of those situations where she's pretending not to like him. Because she's actually madly in love with him, and the series will end with Masuka finally getting a girlfriend that he can be romantically involved with, and they'll live happily ever after. And, now that you bring up that she's been in the show for at least
0: one full season... I'm pretty sure that she... No, I I have proof right here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would give her character a purpose.
0: (laughs) Um, no, the A.V. Club satirizes how useless her character has been uh, for the past season, because I'm just, I'm on the review right now for the season finale of season seven, and they have a joke, transient black lady detective looked so in caps, so disappointed when Dexter was brought in after his arrest. And then I have the episode for uh, the review for A Beautiful Day, which is the season premiere of this season. And it says, as it turns out, the black lady cop is still around, and she even gets lines now. <laughs> I'm wow. so disappointed because i was hoping she was a spectral presence rather than an actual police officer that way i figured ghost harry could have a juicy romantic subplot so maybe we should just hope that they get together and just (laughs) i don't know i that that's just (laughs) black
1: detective and ghost harry i like it uh (laughs) whoa since she hasn't done
0: anything over the course of an entire season maybe she doesn't exist either oh or maybe she's the brain surgeon Oh, that would make things so... Make so much more sense now. (laughs) If the writers were just like, Hey, we've had this character sitting around doing nothing for, like, one or two seasons. Let's have the audience just expect us to not use her and be stupid like we always uh, are with characters like this. But then we'll actually reveal that she's, like... The brain surgeon, and then they can go back in time to previous seasons and, like, have all the snippets (laughs) of her from the previous uh, episodes where she's meant nothing, and actually she's doing something uh, very prominent in every single episode. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Either make her the brain surgeon, or someone
1: will have to go back and and check and see, like, who she talks to whenever she does talk, because if she only interacts with Masuka, maybe she's all in his head. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that would be sad though give masuka actually follow through with masuka getting a girlfriend don't just make masuka crazy like everyone else on this show note to self never complain about any of the supporting
1: characters <laughs> when there's an entire <laughs> character that was around for an, for apparently a whole season That rarely has lines and honestly just seems to be a token black cast member to replace dokes.
0: Well, I mean, it's not entirely her fault. I mean, the reason that I haven't brought her up is because she's never had a point. I mean, like, and what does that say about our society where we just throw in a random African American character and she'll do nothing and no one knows who she is? I mean, that, that, that's really, thanks writers for adding an African American female character and having her do nothing for an entire season. And then when she does do something, she has like one or two lines.
1: Yeah, I meant to bring her up when we talked about the premiere, because I saw the premiere and was like, wait, who's this new character? But (laughs) she didn't do anything, so I forgot. And wow, now that you've reminded me that she
0: does appear in season seven, I'm just, wow, I don't know what to think. I wouldn't beat yourself up too harshly, because I'd honestly blame the writers for just giving her nothing to do. Forget everything I said about the writers maybe knowing what they're doing. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, she literally was just there to stand around for previous season. She had no purpose. It would the best part, like the funniest parts of the DAV the, the club reviewing every episode last season was just like random snippets, and they just have like what that character was doing that was just so insignificant and hilariously unnecessary for every single episode.
1: All right, well, well, I either want to see Masuka and Transient Black Detective get together, or Dexter and Transient Black Detective get together. Like, have her suddenly realize, oh, there's this person. How have I never noticed her and how attractive she is? I find yes. myself drawn to her.
0: Maybe she is the brain surgeon. Yeah, writers, if you're listening, please give this character something to do. You've had her around for what appears to be uh, no reason whatsoever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just give her a romantic subplot, and uh, we'll be happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know that they wrapped production on the show a few days ago, but it's
0: never too late for reshoots. And that poor actress who was probably like, Yeah, I'm on Dexter, and then she's just had to stand around and just be there. Yes. do nothing. This is not the career move that she thought it would be. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Avenging Angels. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at avengingangels at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at FilmGeekRadio.com. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our show all about the HBO series The
0: Newsroom, Navigating the Newsroom. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's CTNASH91. You can also find the articles that I write for Your Magazine Emerson at issue.com. That's issuu.com slash Your Mag Emerson.
1: You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com and moviemezzanine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message to let me know you're a listener and I will follow you back that wraps wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And always remember that brains taste best with garlic sauce.
0: This has been a Film Geek Radio production.
1: Film Geek Radio! Yeah!